Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey, I'm Alexis Madrigal. And I'm Mina Kim. And this is Forum in Focus, where we bring you compelling interviews from the week recorded live on our radio show, Forum, from KQED in San Francisco. That's right. We distilled down a whole week of live shows to bring you two of the very best interviews in just 30 minutes. So, Alexis, tell me why you picked your interview with poet Mimi Tempest to feature. Mimi Tempest, Mina, um, is an absolute powerhouse poet. The thing that was so compelling about the interview, I thought, is just, you know, sometimes you have a poet on who just has, like, superstar presence. That's what Mimi Tempest said. (laughs) Yeah. It is always so great when you encounter somebody who you interview and you're like, that person is going to be a star. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Who do you have on for uh, Forum and Focus? Uh, I picked my conversation with Kat Bohannon. Kat Bohannon wrote basically a history of the female body called Eve. And the reason that she did this, which is what I also found so incredibly surprising and frustrating, is that women, female bodies are still understudied in scientific research in a way that I didn't realize persisted to this day. I found that really shocking, but I also love the fact that her way of answering the kinds of questions that are left by these gaps in medical research was basically to try to go back to the very beginning and figure out where female bodies came from, how they evolved. Yeah, I also, you know, the other thing I heard about this interview, just from friends, was that it was hilarious. Like, everything you're saying doesn't sound like it's going to be funny, but apparently it was very funny. She's really funny. She's got a really great personality, and I think it's part of her way of saying, yeah, science can be super fun, and the way that you should talk about it is in a really fun, approachable way. So it's going to be, you know, two different ways of smashing the patriarchy, apparently. (laughs) Poetic and scientific. We won't make you wait a second longer. Here's my interview with the amazing... Mimi Tempest. There's a tendency with poets, as with artists, to appreciate the greats in retrospect. We rely on time to sort out the truly novel and fascinating from the more everyday among us. Sometimes, though, people get known among their peers as someone special, long before they are revered more widely. And Mimi Tempest is that kind of poet. Her new poetry collection, The Delicacy of Embracing Spirals, came out last week from City Lights. Strikes me as a perfect publisher for her. There's an anger, a confidence, and a literate abandon that I associate with the best of City Lights. This is not poetry for taking with your tea. Prepare yourself this morning. Welcome, Mimi Tempest, the Studio B. Good morning, Alexis. Thank you for having me. So good to have you. Um... You know, you call yourself in some of your different bios a, quote, daughter of California. What's that particular phrase mean to you? Yeah, I'm a a daughter of Khalifa. 
the 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 narrative, the the folklore of of the goddess Khalifa, and I uh, see that all that I do and how I walk and how I talk and that strength, that black warrior goddess energy, um, flows through me. So when I refer to myself as a daughter of Khalifa, I'm really referring to myself as a, a proud and strong person uh, associated with the, the, the mystique of this land. Yeah. You know, I was also thinking about some of your kind of literary ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, you've mentioned Wanda Coleman, mm-hmm. uh, maybe Pat Parker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how that work, you know, say Wanda Coleman in particular, yeah. has, has influenced you. Uh, for those who don't know, Los Angeles, black woman poet, Working, working in the tw- second half of the 20th century? Yeah, second half of the 20th century, and she was uh, another powerhouse that I hope to uh, be in alignment with uh, as my own trajectory grows uh, in my career. But um, Wanda was the poet that made it cool to write about Los Angeles the way she wrote about Los Angeles. Um, you know, we have Bukowski, we have Foster, we have... You know, a, 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 a literary uh, charcuterie board, if you will, of powerful <laughs> Los Angeles poets. But Wanda did it in a way that was particular to her blackness, to her womanness, to uh, her um, class consciousness. And I had to write specifically the delicacy of embracing spirals with her in mind. So interesting. You know, I was reading one of her uh, poems this morning called The Ism, mm-hmm. um, where she's kind of talking about, you know, just spoiler alert, talking about racism. <laughs> right. uh, and, you know, she says, you know, it's on television and in the streets, even when my walk is casual, undefined, mm-hmm. it's overhead flashing lights. I find it in my mouth when I would speak of other things. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that in relation to your work and, you know, otherized people, you know, blackness, queerness, these things generate these amazing creative upwellings as they interact with this, you know, dominant culture. But would you rather speak of other things like or or how what is that tension for you? Mm, that's a great question. Um, my mentor, Trong Tran, uh, he always tells this anecdote. He goes, you know, I, I get up in the morning and I walk around, you know, San Francisco. I go through the streets and I go on the bus and I go get coffee and I, you know, I run my errands. And at some point, at some point in the day, some white person or some institution or something intercedes and all my anger comes out. Mm-hmm. So it's it's more so it's, of course, I rather write about flora and, fla- and fauna, right? <laughs> but as I move through the world, through my own identity, that anger um, is inevitable. So yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. survival at this point. Um, I've also heard you talk about that there are other spaces that you've been able to to enter into. Um, you know, there was a queer party scene in mm-hmm. L.A., for example, that kind of allowed you to to feel the other components of these identities. So can you talk about, like, what was that? Because when I've heard you talk about it, it sounds amazing. What, what, what was that L.A. party scene and what was going on? Yeah, I'm a child of Mustache Mondays. It's a legendary queer underground party that, oh, Lord, started in... Uh, I believe tw- 2009 and, and didn't stop until 2019, right when uh, the founder, Nacho Nava, passed. And uh, that was a queer utopia. You know, everyone was there. The 
that all the kids, if you were broke, if you were poor, if you were famous, if you were a nobody, you were somebody once you stepped into Mustache Mondays. <laughs> and a part of me is sad because I, I have a feeling, and I, I hope I will, but I have a feeling I'll never get that back. Mm. But that was, uh, it was total freedom, those spaces. And I would say uh, there was nothing like it. It was a movement. Uh, it was... Uh, it was ecstasy, but at its highest and purest form. Will you not get that back because you've changed or because you feel like the world has changed in some way? Both. I, I, I at this point in my life, in my career, uh, can't go back to who I was uh, during those times. But I would say without Mustache Mondays, there, will ne- there, there wouldn't be a Mimi Tempest. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you at that time were maybe thinking you wouldn't be a poet or maybe poet wouldn't be your like first thing on your bio. You would have been something else, uh, a performer, or mm. a, a musical artist. I always wanted to be a writer, um, but I wasn't brave enough to uh, write the way that I do now. So the alternative was rap, music and performance. So those were my building blocks to get to where I am in this moment. You think it's still in the work? Yeah, of course. You hear a Mimi Tempest poem, like the performance is is all there. You hear my, you know, it's just natural. Yeah. Um, one of the things you say uh, about this book, you say, uh, "I wrote this book wondering what is the performance of my story. Mm-hmm. Do I want to tell the truth? What the blank is truth anyway? <laughs> yeah. Isn't this all a farce? How can I tell you where I begin and end if I haven't even arrived?" And it does. This book does feel like it. It is you performing different versions of yourself yeah. in, in these in these poems. Um, talk just about you know how do you, how do you kind of resolve that multiplicity or or do you not? I don't. Uh, I, I think everyone uh, at any point in their journey can choose whatever path that seems fitting. Uh, and we're all in evolution, right? We're constantly growing, constantly being informed um, by these situations or scenarios that we find ourselves in. So. If if I have the permission to grow, so do others. And I, I would say, I guess you could say the, 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 the push for this book is to allow others to explore their multitudes and their own performances as they move through the world. Because a lot of people don't know that they're performing. Huh. Talk, talk to me more about that. What do you... What I mean, it's, it's the mask. It's the, the face you wear at the grocery store. It's the face you wear in the classroom it's the face you wear in front of a lover um that mask is always changing and some people don't realize that they're switching masks they're just move they're surviving um i like to explore all those masks so that i i I could tell when i'm wearing it when i'm not and who's the self and who isn't the self and what's necessary in order for me to to survive um the the book itself we we both have our copies here <laughs> yeah. we don't have it out in the audience but um it has this um pretty amazing cover art how, how you describe it I'm yeah. Gonna, yeah it's by brian kwan brian kwan uh shout out to brian kwan he is uh, a, a, a barely graduated student from cca he just moved to new york and he's a young genius i call him the peter parker of <laughs> my little crew of friends because he's so young and so brilliant and it's hard to catch him but this this cover is 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 what i would describe as a, a phantasmagoria mm-hmm. um it's uh emanating from a third eye yeah, yeah. truly truly and it, it's an explosion 
Um, I don't know. Can I say this? It's an orgasm. Can I say that? Yeah, it's an yeah, orgasm. It's not, it's not on the list of band words. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's an orgasm. It's it's a mind exploration, a journey into the inner and outer simultaneously. Mm. Yeah, and it in style, it's um, it almost looks like a woodcut. I don't think it's a woodcut, but it's like a... Right, uh, black and white kind of line art mm. shading. Yeah, mm. it's really beautiful. Um, we should probably have you read a poem. Let's start with yeah. um, one of the shorter ones. I think we got um, actor. All right, this is the actor. Uh, Every audience tries to solve me like a Rubik's Cube. My true nature takes shape as a labyrinth. It's the ones who ain't spin the block through hell, misunderstanding my full-figured salaciousness calculated they discard me take on more measured women clean ones less feral less vocal more polite their tongues like wilted flower petals conditioned to say less be less poor tampered beast unpronounced and claimed a pity my essence the very thing which draws them in now has them running out. My fangs shown too soon this time. When they try to retrieve what was lost, I can never be found. I'm too busy admiring my face in a handheld mirror while sitting on the moon. I was Mimi Tempest reading her poem. The actor, part of a larger sequence in her book, The Delicacy of Embracing Spirals. You know, one of the things that the audience can't quite tell, although your voice does it, is the the words on these pages sometimes are coming. They're in they're in different spots, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it did seem to me as I was kind of reading this aloud to myself yesterday, like it it makes sense. Like there is an actual other rhythm that's created by breaking up the lines like mm. that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a technique uh, that you get out of the, the MFAs, right? <laughs> um, but also a technique that I get out of my own own reading. I, I like, uh, like a lot of folks know, I'm a former hip-hop artist or a retired hip-hop artist. <laughs> but I'm also a, 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 a kind of an understudy of jazz, too. Huh. So when I read, I try to cor- uh, incorporate those two elements kind of, of musicality yeah, into my readings. It's beautiful. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
Welcome back to Forum in Focus. This is my interview with researcher and writer Kat Bohannon. Her new book, Eve, is out now. What if we took the story of evolution and centered women? We focus specifically on how the female body evolved. Well, that's what Kat Bohannon does in her new book, Eve, in hopes of getting the latest answers to our basic questions about our bodies, like why do women live longer? Why do we menstruate? And what's the point of menopause? Now, at this point, you may be asking yourself, why don't we have the answers to these questions? Bohannon explores that too, not just how the female body has been understudied and deprioritized in science for years, but also the impact that that's had. Kat Bohannon, welcome to Forum. Hi, thanks. Happy to be here. So Kat, while you were looking at all of this, realizing just how much female bodies have been omitted from medical science, you also realize that to truly fill the gaps in our understanding that we we have to better understand the female body, that we have to go back to our origins. Mm -hmm. And you ended up going back more than 200 million years. (laughs) Well, you know, I lack ambition. So (laughs) I just, I aim small. Um, No, it's true. It's not a small book. But don't worry, the last third or so is the notes and the bibliography. I I put some jokes in there too. It's okay. It's okay. Yes. It was Mm -hmm. important for you to make it readable, very readable for people. Yeah, I think science should belong to everybody. But I do want to go back because what you learn about the female body's evolution really is fascinating. And you you discover the first mammal to nurse young, essentially how milk came to be. Can you tell us about this mammal? Oh, her name is Morgie. And I didn't actually have to name her because the Smithsonian did actually gave her that nickname on a little placard. It's Morganica Don. She's uh, what I would call an exemplar genus. So she's more than one species, but she's um, she's this cute little furry weasel rat uh, that lived about (laughs) 200 to 205 million years ago under the feet of dinosaurs, actually under the feet, right? Because she's probably burrowing. Um, And so she's she's living in their rumble space. And she actually still lays eggs, kind of like the duck platypus still does, you know, fun fact. So she lays eggs, but she is the first mammal. And when she lays her eggs, she has to keep them wet. So she secretes this kind of, well, frankly, it's kind of like a mucus, this kind of goo that helps keep them wet until they hatch in their little burrow. And then they nibble on the goo and then they start licking around. And eventually, actually, she starts secreting more of the goo. It's loaded with immuno agents. And eventually, well, actually, that's where milk comes from. And it's across her whole body, and then eventually it becomes specialized. We're able to do it through nipples and so on. Oh, yeah. First milk, then nipple. This thing hanging off my chest wall way later. Like, we don't (laughs) actually, like, way, way, way later. Like, basically now. Basically, the boob happens now. Yeah. And another area that you explore that I really found fascinating, too, is fat and how women's bodies hold and use fat that's biologically distinct from men. Talk about this. Oh, man. Yeah. So, um, so far, what we can see uh, in the literature, and this isn't settled science, but it's really tantalizing, and there's a lot of evidence, okay? That's what I mean by cutting-edge stuff, okay? So, um, you know you have fat all over your body. Some of it's inside. Some of it's more uh, just under your skin. The stuff you see the most, obviously, is just under your skin. And uh, cis women tend to have this extra fat around our butts and upper thighs and hips, and the formal terms, gluteofemoral fat. Now, the trick is, is that those fat deposits seem to specially store these lipids uh, that are hard for us 
to make inside our bodies from other parts. We tend to just get them straight from diet. They're called LCPOFAs, and you can look up the formal term. Anyway, so it's like, oh, okay, this kind of fat specially stores this stuff. Well, it turns out that stuff is really, really important for building baby brains and retinas. And in fact, it seems to be metabolically protected, you know, first place to gain, last place to lose, until the third trimester of pregnancy and then through lactation, where it's like the baby is just hoovering down mom's butt, right, through the placenta and then through um, through breast milk uh, to build out presumably this, uh, well, its own fat stores, but also that brain and those eyeballs, right? And so, and this is a very long evolved trait. And I couldn't help but, you know, I was an anorexic teenager. You know, when I look Mm. in the mirror, it's complicated and was actually got down to like 98 pounds. I'm good now. But, you know, so I look in the mirror and I look at my butt, which is not small. And I'm like, oh, I know where you came from. Right. It gave me a whole new frame for that. And that, for me, at least, was very freeing. Like, oh, this isn't extra. This isn't a moral space. This is an evolutionary space. Yeah, you're really highlighting one of the the benefits and one one of the important reasons that this research is so important. You're you're also talking about the kinds of important questions that learning about these things that are specific to the female body can inspire. Like for example, you started wondering then if we remove this fat or work to work off this fat, how are we potentially affecting, you know, a fetus if we want to be pregnant later on? <laughs> so this is a tricky thing. I'm waiting for someone to do that study. Um, you'll see in the book how that goes. Right. So um, the thing is, is that our f- subcutaneous fat, in fact, all of the fat depots in our body are now by many scientists who work in the field starting, we're starting to think that this is not just, you know, different deposits, but rather an organ system, right? So that little like thing hanging down from your arm, especially now at my age, you know, that isn't like a bit of extra food. It's actually a visible part of one of your organs, okay? (laughs) And different parts of this organ system seem to work differently, right? So the fat under your arms doesn't seem to store these special lipids we just talked about in the same way that your gluteofemoral fat does. So what if you get liposuction on your butt and then you go on to have a baby? That was my question. Right. And the answer is, we don't know. Hopefully there's some fail safes. Um, Hopefully it doesn't affect the content of your breast milk. Hopefully all is well. And the body is good at building in fail safes when it comes to reproduction. But I think it would be good for us to settle that science instead of treating different parts of women's bodies as just um, cosmetic. Yeah. So. I want to ask you in terms of underexplored differences between the male and the female bodies Mm -hmm. about some of the things you learned around hearing that that (laughs) they essentially have very different tuning, I think is the way that you put it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's uh, It was one of those things, I don't know if it was for you when I got to that moment in the research, and then you'll see in the book where you're like, oh, well, that's different. So... um, Right. So the primate sensory array, which is to say your face and your ears, right, how you're sensing the world primarily, you know, up at the front of your head. This evolves in an ancient canopy of uh, uh, fruiting trees. Uh, Earliest primates are evolving in that environment. And because of the nature of that environment, our uh, 
our ears began to change, right? Um, so the range of pitches that we were able to hear had to shift to accommodate communicating in this whole new environment because we used to be ground-based, right? So you go up the tree and now, okay, sound is different, right? What do I do? And what's interesting about the long-term tale of uh, that basic evolutionary shift is that not only are there sex differences, but you see this interesting pattern of hearing loss in human men that doesn't kick in until much later, if it does at all, in human women, right? So the typical female ear is tuned to slightly higher pitches. Um, I don't know if you have ever had like a, you know, a high fidelity system, but you know, you, you can change which pitches you am amplify in your mix effectively. Well, it turns out your brain and your ears are doing that too. Um, and uh, female typical hearing is strongly associated with the range of pitches associated with baby cries. We're annoyingly more attuned to this stuff, and it's a long-evolved thing. That doesn't mean the guys can't hear them, but we hear them. But it also is interesting because it might be tied to that pattern of hearing loss that actually starts around age 25 in typical male bodies, where they start losing the higher range of their pitches. Now, the reason that matters for you and me is that, well, women's voices are a little bit higher pitched usually. Um, and so if the males are losing the high end of our voices, uh, over time, over time, over time. That means by the time they arrive in the boardroom, well, they may literally not hear us very well. Yeah, like literally tuning <laughs> like actually, us out. <laughs> like, not on purpose, even though, with some sympathy there. Like right. that's not going to tell you why they care less about what we say. Like that's not going to tell you why sexism exists, but it is going to tell you like, oh, you actually really have difficulty hearing me. Okay, what can we do about that? <laughs> yeah, and not just... Hearing differences, but visual differences, which are mm -hmm. visual perception differences, I mm -hmm. should say. So I want to take this perception question a little bit further because you mm -hmm. introduce us to the topic of perception by describing when you were in college and worked as a nude model in art school. Oh, yeah. It's an easy way to make happened? money. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. for someone for someone like me, you know, being naked was was an option, um, and there's plenty of plenty of privilege there. But yes, yes, I was a professional naked person. I was. I would go into a room and I would take off all my clothes in front of a bunch of teenage males, which you know, on the face of it, sounds like a nightmare. Um, but you know, I'm no longer afraid of those things because I made it my actual job for a bit. Anyway, um, and yeah, one of the interesting things that happened there that I noticed is that, you know, um, this was the uh, 90s, the late 90s. And so it was very common. Uh, everyone would go out for a smoke break, right? You know, artists, cigarettes, please don't smoke people. But, you know, it's something that they did. And so I got to, like, put on my robe and walk around the easels and sort of see my body taking form on canvas, which was also both nerve-wracking and freeing. I don't know. But the thing that was really distinctive about it um, was that the male students uh, all drew my breasts too big. Okay. Hmm. Like, like cartoon big. Okay. And it wasn't that they were trying to draw cartoons necessarily. It wasn't like a stylistic thing. It's just like, for some reason, they could not get it proportionally accurate to my body. <laughs> Whereas the, uh, the female students, for whatever reason, didn't have that problem. But what was cool and interesting is like over the course of a semester, right? Because this is like a college class. Over the course of my semester of nakedness, 
they, the male students would actually start making the breasts more in proportion. Yeah. Because what they did is effectively they started learning how to draw what their eyes had actually seen and not what their brains had done with what their eyes had seen. This has been Forum in Focus. You can hear the full interviews by searching KQED Forum on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.